thanks for coming on today, Bart. Really appreciate you taking out some uh, time out of your busy day. For people who haven't met you or, or don't know who you are or much about the BPAA, tell us a little bit about yourself and organization. Hey, Forrest. Well, first, thanks for having me there. Yeah, I am what's known as a lifer in the industry. And a lifer is someone that's been doing it longer than 30 years, but just doesn't want to tell you how old they are. So that's okay. actually, I got thinking about it as I was working with another group early this year, and this is my 42nd year in the industry, which is just wow. absolutely amazing. It's yeah. been yeah. just a blessing, a journey. I've wow. been very fortunate to be part of a, a lot of great groups and I've operated centers literally around the country mm -hmm. in all kinds of various roles. But more importantly than me is really the organization that I work with. And that is the trade association that represents the bowling industry, the Bowling Proprietors Association of America, or what most people know us as the BPAA. And this is a big year, 2022. We're celebrating our 90th anniversary. We were founded in 1932. And really the mission of that in 1932 was to gather like-minded people together to associate that we're in the same industry to come together and help believe that there were strings in numbers and all boats benefit from a rising tide. And fast forward 90 years and here we are, we still are a, a great group of 3000 strong of business operators around the country that really come together to network, to leverage the buying power of those 3,000 members, and then also to help them in education and training on making their businesses more uh, profitable. And while we are a non-for-profit, our mission statement, because we represent for-profit small business operators around the country, is really a, a for-profit business statement. And, and that is the mission of BPA is to enhance the profitability of our members. And that's really what the team here at the campus is focused on. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive to see you guys in the industry. Like in, in other ones that you see, there's a couple of different associations and there's not, not like an official one, but in bowling, pretty much by far, the, the, you guys are the one. There's not much else out there. And it's impressive to see the how much you guys really do give back and help your members. It is pretty impressive. Yeah, I would tell you that part of that, quite candidly, is based on necessity. I do believe that for all products, no matter what market trend, necessity is the mother of all I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And industry is very unique because... We're one of the few business channels that there's no franchise model and less than 10% of the industry is owned by any one corporation. So they really are salt of the earth, small business operators that represent the communities that they serve. And, and that's a wonderful thing and what they give back to their communities. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that, where do you go to leverage the buying power other big industries and franchises and corporations have? And where do you go to educate and learn how to operate this business. And that's really where we try to fill that void. I often joke with folks as I wish we were great at marketing to say that we could, we have 3000 strong, but really it's the value proposition and the programs and the products that we offer that really make the decision to be a part of our group. Just pretty, the ROI is pretty easy to calculate. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a guy who's involved with you on the insurance side, the Diodatos and pretty it's, it's very easy to get your return within the first month or year, just with some of the rebate programs alone. They more than pay for themselves. There's, there's no reason that you wouldn't be a part of the association. Yeah, it's a great group and, and we're happy to represent the industry. So what about you personally, Bart? You said 42 years, it's hard to believe you could start when you were two years old, but <laughs> here you are. Tell me a little bit about your journey into the bowling foray. Yeah, believe it or not, my father was a pin boy. He actually set pins up by hand and he was a, a, a very good bowler. And like most sons, I grew up, wanted to be like my father and enjoyed bowling, was very passionate about it. It was the one activity that, that really was inclusive of, of everybody, all my schoolmates. And so I started working at the local bowling center, which was an eight lane center, just in, that represented the small little farm town that we were a part of. I spent 25 years with the Brunswick group, operating centers around the country in various roles 
both from single unit to multi-unit. I spent some time in training and development and some time in marketing, and then had a, a wonderful opportunity for two years to serve as the director of operations for international. Had five centers in mainland China, seven in, uh, seven in Germany and three in Austria, which was wow. really fascinating. I tell folks, I have a global MBA and haven't spent a day in the classroom for it, <laughs> uh, just working with all the various, uh, the communist government and some of the European yeah. governments. And then in, in 2010, had an opportunity to, you know, make a change and, and come to the International Bowling Campus here and join the industry on, on a larger scale. And for the last well, almost 12 years now, have been working on behalf of the industry with the great team here at, at BPA to help folks. Primarily in, in my role is, is with the membership team and then also the Bowling University team in the education. Yeah. So I, I two questions there. The first one is, what is it like to see bowling in different cultures or different countries or... What are some of the differences and uh, similarities that you saw doing that? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question for us. I will tell you that bowling, no matter where you are in the world, it really is the original social network. It brings people together because it's such an incredible activity that, you know, literally every, you can have five generations that can participate in that activity. And mm -hmm. while there's a lot of other great sports, none of them can make that claim to fame. You might golf. But uh, you won't see a six-year-old and an 86-year-old in the same tee box. You might like volleyball, but you're not going to see an 80-year-old or a seven-year-old with a seven-year-old, exactly. you know, on the volleyball court. Mm -hmm. This is an incredible opportunity and activity that generations can do that. So no matter where I am in the world, the association of, of two or more that gather together and do this thing called bowling is just really incredible. So that's one of the things that is the same and universal no matter where I go or where I've been blessed to, to work with folks. The one thing that is a little is that in America, bowling is a national pastime, right? Most people don't realize that bowling is the most uh, popular participation sport in America. Yes. More people yes. bowl every year than play golf. Mm -hmm. football, baseball, tennis, any of them, you name it, none of them. No one surpasses the numbers bowling has as it relates to participation. That's not the case internationally. In many other countries, bowling is an emerging or a new sport or activity. Mm -hmm. While the synergies of the social uh, interaction of bowling are the same, the fact that bowling is a new product is very different because I've been in, in Australia and other countries where they, you may have never been bowling in your life. You may be 40 years old. But in America, yeah. you very rarely run into anybody that hasn't bowled sometime in their life because it's right. just, it's America's pastime. Yeah. It, it's just ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's cool. I was just talking last week to uh, Alex Funk of Funk Bowling over in Germany and they have eight centers and it sounds very similar. Maybe some of the games are different, the, the style of play, nine pin, 10 pin, but like you said, primarily it's a social activity, people coming together. Yeah. Regardless of the number of pins, regardless of the length of the lane, and regardless even of the size of the bowling ball, mm -hmm. it, it is a social interaction that people can gather together and really have multiple generations and participate in that activity, whether it's five pin in the North in Canada or candle pin or duck pin in, in mm -hmm. the Northeast or nine pin over in Europe, it, it's bowling and it's a ball and it's pins and it's interactive. And there's that level of competition. There's that level of sport. And it is the, it's the one, what we all want to do, the fascinating thing about bowling is it's the one activity that your level of enjoyment is not necessarily dependent on your skill or your ability. I, I enjoy a little golf, but no bends one off into the woods and high fives their buddy and says, that's awesome. 
but you can have a great evening on a, on a Saturday night in your in your family's re neighborhood recreation center, and maybe you dump one in the gutter, but you're still having a good time, high fiving your friends and having a drink and, and laughing yeah. about it. You, right. No, no one's doing that in in any of the other sports. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Dependent. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys cover pretty much all, like you said, all variations, whether it's duck pin or, or any different permutation of bowling, it's all included under the BPAA umbrella. Yeah. We're in, you know, a non-for-profit trade association, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. we are uh, run by our membership. We have bylaws and the bylaws of state, they just have some type of bowling. Mm -hmm. So really any type of bowling product qualifies you to belong to our organization. Okay. I would tell you that I get calls from trampoline parks and other type of entertainment centers that have heard about the education and training we offer. They've heard about the various cost savings and products that we offer, and they want to be a part of it. You know, and I said, love to have you, love to get you in the family, mm -hmm. but the bylaws state that you have to have some type of bowling and then you can, you can join the family. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering what the cutoff is, but that, that's cool. I didn't even think of, cause it is very broad. It didn't even occur to me. Yeah. We have a little bit of everything. I mean, that, that, that all come in and most folks don't realize that one of the fastest growing segments of bowling is actually the movie industry, movie theaters, mm -hmm. putting in bowling lanes around the country in various different capacities, because the movie theater folks have figured out that when you're in the movie business, it could be a great business to be in, but you're dependent on Hollywood. And by adding the element of bowling, it allows you to open that up to a different customer base. There's a lot of synergies. And you can really take the F and B to a, another. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's big for them. I, I, I have some friends of friends who are developers and have a few movie theaters and they're actually looking at building a few centers for that very reason, just because that's things are switching to that. But even with all the, the virtual entertainment, the at-home entertainment, there's still that component that you, you can't get at home, whether it's like a Wii, Nintendo bowling or the social aspect, you just can't get that unless you're in one of these centers physically with company. No, and, and I will tell you, look, I, I don't know what your personal beliefs are or those that are joining us today are, but look, we, we were not wired to be alone. And if, if nothing else, the pandemic proved that for us, right? But we are wired to be interactive and social creatures. And while there are benefits to some of the stuff that you could do at home and some of the gaming things that happen at home, nothing replaces that out-of-home entertainment. So out-of-home entertainment is still going to be necessary in our society. I tell folks that we weren't wired to be trolls. We weren't wired to be alone. That's not who we are. And then when you get into that out of home entertainment space, while there are a lot of great offerings and options there, again, back to the reasons that I mentioned, none rivals in comparison to bowling, just because of how inclusive it is and how multi-generational it is. Yeah. And I don't know, I know that some of the centers that, that we work with, uh, you know, our clients or, or people that we know, They've seen a massive resurgence of people coming back. And now that people feel more comfortable, I don't know of any centers I've talked to yet who aren't, you know, seeing business pick up because now they can, and they, they want to be out that, that innate desire is. Yeah. And I would tell you, we're hearing not only are most, not all, there's always any exceptions. There were exceptions before the pandemic, but mm -hmm. in general, our industry has come not, not only back, but come back full force and come back strong. And that many have not only gotten back to their pre-pandemic levels, we're hearing about locations that are having a record year, record years of revenue there. But at the same time, we are in this environment that you and I as consumers, but also as business operators, our, our costs have increased as well. There is, uh, there, are, there is rising wages and rising commodities and all of those are part of it. But thankfully, the, on the positive side, for many, re revenue is just at a record pace. It's just unbelievable. 
Yeah, I think every one of our clients is having their best year ever. So it's just, it's a good time to be in there. And now it's not a matter of us trying to get more people in. It's how do we get more employees to, to service it, handle the business that's there. That seems to be the toughest part. It is staffing and what we refer to as uh, talent acquisition is probably the thing that keeps uh, proprietors up at night and small, mm -hmm. all small business owners up at night. The other factor too is the really progressive folks are understanding now that while the revenue is there, it's really about revenue management, right? How do I maximize that revenue and improve those margins? Because while mm -hmm. the revenue has come back, we want to make sure that the margins follow that as well. But obviously uh, staffing is the, the greatest issue that locations, all businesses in America, all retail out of home inner businesses in America certainly are facing today. Yeah. And actually, actually that's one of the questions I ask everybody is how they are, you know, handling that issue. What are some things that you're hearing out there, people who are, are doing to confront that and seeing success with what, what's working on that front that you're hearing about or, or seeing? Yeah, I, I tell you that not, not only what I see working, but it's what we teach to as well here at the university. And, and, and that is that you have to be as passionate about talent acquisition as you are about guest acquisition, right? You got to, yep. you got to put on that marketing hat Absolutely. and you got to be aggressive in it's no longer it's supply and demand. You just, it's mm -hmm. really, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's really simple economics that the supply and demand curves are inverted and it will be quite some time. And until those invert and come into the operator's favor. So you really have to get aggressive. You've got to be aggressive about marketing and things that small business owners didn't used to have to pay attention to things like culture of the work environment. And those are all critical because potential, your potential team members have a lot of choices mm -hmm. and you've got to sell yourself on why they want to be part. You should be, they should be part of your team. So right. you really got to be passionate. It's marketing. So the ones that I see that are, you're not going to make this go away, but where you can really combat this and start to impact it is where you are being aggressive in your marketing efforts, understanding your company's culture, really being clear with your mission, vision, and values, and what you want to be to your community and what you want to be to your team. And, and those are the folks that are doing it. I can tell you the people that aren't winning. It's those that lead with money. Mm -hmm. uh, we tell folks, don't be a mercenary. Because when you lead with money, you're going to get mercenaries and it's going to be short term. Right. They're coming to you because of the money and they will leave you because of the money. Wages are important. We're in the midst of wage inflation. We'd be naive not to at least acknowledge that and know that's part of what we're dealing with. But I think that's going to be temporary. I really believe that. And we want to pay a fair and livable wage, something that's fair and equity for the uh, work that we're doing. But you don't want to lead with because when you do, you just end up being a mercenary and, and it does not end well. Right. Yeah. And I think to truly maximize your employees' potential, they need to work for something, not just money. You can get a paycheck anywhere. You can go to a warehouse and probably potentially even make a little more, but something unfulfilling. Whereas if you can have that mission, like you said, the culture, there's a lot to be said for that. And, and money isn't necessarily the, the driving force for a lot of people. For, for business owners, it's a big driving force, but I think there's a lot of employees out there who are willing to work to be part of a a community or like a family and, and have a broader mission to, to give people fun and good experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree, but couldn't agree more a hundred percent because those are the folks and it's not easy, right? Because you're busy running the business, a lot of things happening, but the ones that have uh, dedicated some time with that, it's working. And look, you can follow a little about what large companies are doing because you have whole talent acquisition departments now. You can be a vice president of talent acquisition. So the bigger brands and the bigger companies are understanding that and they're putting the resources behind it. For us as small business operators, it just becomes one of the many hats that we wear during the day. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to the way you said supply and demand. I'm so glad you, know, you, you had that approach because out of the dozen or so people I've talked to this about, that's a great summation of, of 
the driving factors, but the supply and demand is a big one because there used to be a lot more supply um, and less demand for the jobs. And now it's the other way. So you've got to be, like you said, more competitive. You have to be able to beat out other opportunities, or even I think the bigger opportunity that's come about and change things is the opportunity just to stay at home and, and not work. And not just like an, sitting on the couch collecting unemployment, but if you're like a mother of, of a few kid, young kids, you aren't getting paid like substantially more or have a better alternative. You, we see a lot of them exiting the workforce and staying home to raise their kids. So that's another thing that you're competing with is should I just stay home and, and raise my kids? So you really have to bring that opportunity up and compete against those other factors. Yeah, I, I often share with folks that, look, there, there was a lot of horrible things about the pandemic and a lot of loss of life, but the pandemic was an accelerator, many societal trends, of which some we won't know the impact for many years. Some may be negative, so there may be some that are they're good, but to your point, when it comes to this employment market, the whole idea of working from home, telecommuting, there's uh, hybrid jobs are now the new norm. But in our world, that's not, hybrid jobs are not an option, not a home entertainment, yeah. but the very fact that we're social creatures and we want to be outside and interact, that's where we come into play. And mm -hmm. I always say that in our business, we, we work when everyone else plays and we play when everyone else works. We've got to be in, in that space there. And I, I think one of the things that most people don't really realize is that there's some underlying demographic trends that have been happening for many years. Some go back 40 years that again, the pandemic accelerated and we are, we're a society that's aging. We're a society, a country now that's facing underpopulation. Mm -hmm. And even if everybody that was unemployed went to work tomorrow, we'd still be four or 5 million people short to right. fill the jobs that, that are open there. The downside is this, this is not the government. It's not the pandemic. It's just the societal trends that have been accelerated. The folks that are wrapping their arms around that and doing the things we talked about, they're the ones that, that are winning now. And they're the ones that are going to win long-term. Right. Yeah. It's a much more sustainable solution than you know, paying a little bit more, or just not doing anything at all. Fix the well, <laughs> I, I always share that hope is a terrible business strategy. Right. If you're going to exactly. hope that things go back to the way they were and, mm -hmm. and hope that the employment market will be back to work, it's just, mm -hmm. that's a terrible business strategy. It's right. a wonderful thing to have hope, but it's a terrible yeah. business strategy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not going to work. And then I, I like just to recap the other point that you made is that inversion of looking at the talent acquisition as a marketing function. Um, Cause that's what we do obviously. And turning it back around and say, you need to, like you said, go after them with the same amount of effort as you would for a customer. So that means running ads, having a good sales process, which is really a job interview or selling the job and having a, a follow-up where you can bring those employees on. And I, I tell people as well is that I think it's 25% of Americans, the job they're in now, they weren't looking when they got it. So part of it is advertising and getting in front of good candidates who aren't necessarily actively applying for jobs. You could recruit away is when they say talent acquisition, a lot of times it's pulling good candidates from other jobs. So it's just coming at it with that mindset rather than just post something on indeed or on, on the newspaper and hoping someone. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the bad news is most studies shows that the majority of the workforce is unhappy in their current role. Mm -hmm. For you as a small business operator, the good news is most people mm -hmm. are unhappy in their current role exactly. and, and, and you might could be a part of that if you take that and you take that kind of marketing aspect and fill in the tunnel. And I, we like to share with folks here at the university, if your application process is the same as it was pre-pandemic, you better get rid of it. If your mm -hmm. application is the same, if the way you interview is the same, if your you know onboarding is the same, you better start over because the world has changed. Just if you think about from a marketing perspective, how you close leads and how you, mm -hmm. you know, book that sale and speed to market, it really is speed to market. And you've got to decide quick whether or not a candidate meets your culture 
and whether you want them on your team, because guess what? They can walk down the road and have five other offers by end of the day. Exactly. Because yep. unfortunately, there are many of your peers, not in our industry as much, but in other industries that, that, are, that are leading as mercenaries. All you got to do is drive up and down a major road and, and watch the, the marquee signs and they're promoting what? $14 an hour, $15 mm -hmm. an hour. They're, you know, 20 bucks an hour. They're leading with cash and, right. and they're mercenaries. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's something I think uh, we'll, we'll touch on with the staffing at the last point and we can move on. But that's the, this is obviously the biggest challenge today. So I, I like to spend a lot of time and seeing where you can improve on that. But having a good leader is so key. So whether you're the, the leader as a proprietor or you have a general manager, if you can have a good leader in there and improve retention, that's really going to save you on the back end, right? It's double the retention is half the new candidates, half the onboarding, half the training, half the new employees that aren't as strong. And if you can have a good leader in there and, and create that culture, you just see people stay longer. They just stay for years. They enjoy work and you don't have to keep going back to that pool. So that was the one thing I wanted to end on. Oh, I mean, hey, absolutely. Again, you think about it from a marketing perspective. In, mar in marketing 101, we learned that the easiest guest is the one you retain and keep. Get guest retention is so much cheaper than customer acquisition. Right. So if I can keep that staff and retain them, that, that for all the things you mentioned, that just helps in, in the overall process. I would close with this on the staff. And I tell folks, look, a small business operator, you may choose not to worry about culture. You may choose not to spend time on it. I get it. You're busy. But understand this, your culture is, is just, you have two choices by default or by design, you get to pick. Mm -hmm. And if you don't take an active role, you're still going to have a culture, but it's just going to be by default. Have a say in it, make it by design. Yeah, exactly. Not the one you want, just the one you yeah. have. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. So we talked about staffing. Now that we're coming into to May and coming up just past the, the busy season, I wanted to ask you a little bit, some of the approaches you've seen work well for summer. So obviously bowling isn't as popular as in the summers is in the winter for most, not for everybody, but how do you help people get through that? Or what are some things you've seen that, that work for centers to help them keep revenue, not as seasonal in the summertime? I think the, the fundamental steps are, are the same as they were before the pandemic. It's just the ones that when you have more inventory than you do during your peak time, it's all about, do you have the information to be able to connect to your guests? Do you have their email? Do you have their, their cell phone? Can you, you, are you active in SMS? Are you active in, in email marketing? Despite the rumors, email is not dead, still a viable. And the, are you in that digital space? What are you doing there with, with that? So I, I even, while revenue is good and I'm glad that it's good, I've been cautioning operators and small business owners to say, look, now's not the time to sit back and, and start counting the money. Make sure that every new guest that's coming in, you're capturing their data because that's gold. And you may not need it now, but you will need it one day. And, and so while you may not have a need, and for some, they may not have a need yet to start discounting this summer. They may still ride the wave and, and, and keep that increase in revenue that's coming. But there will come a time when, because it's all ebb and flow, it, it just will happen. When business starts to get soft and your inventory grows, do you have the necessary data to be able to reach out and reconnect with those guests, to be able to invite them back. And those that right. do are going to be in a much better position than those that were just so busy taking care of folks. They didn't mm -hmm. do the basics and capture that, that data. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it really is gold. If you can get back in touch with them again and again, you reduce your cost of acquisition so much further. Whereas if you had to go out and advertise or find another way, that cost is just so much higher than if you could just send something directly through text or email or um, whatever else you can build a profile with someone. Yeah, I think it's critical. And we've been learning how to operate our businesses while we're busy. 
and learning how to stay in touch with the guest without necessarily having to discount. We think mm -hmm. of this correlation of if I'm going to communicate with you as a, as a guest, there has to be some discount associated with it, but we're learning to continue to have the voice and communicate with them without necessarily discounting the product. Mm -hmm. We will, again, we'll need to discount again, sure. but at, at this point in time, for many of us, many of the operators, they not to that point yet that they start, they're, they're needing to discount their premium product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and there's definitely other ways to communicate, not just discounts, but other ways to convey value, whether it's educational, even at your teaching people for entertainment. It could be as simple as here's tips on how to have the best birthday party ever for your child. And there's still a lot of ways to keep in touch with your customers without necessarily giving things for free. I mean, Absolutely. that's a part of what we try to help people understand is it, it, as long as you're giving value, people are more than happy to hear from you. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about history, staffing, summer. Wanted to ask you, Bart, a little bit about some things you're seeing work for other centers, whether it's, like you said, not just focusing on the revenue, but maybe profitability or what's what markets are working well, or you talk to and interact with a lot of centers. What are some common threads that you see really working today that people should maybe pay attention to? I think it's still important, regardless of your business model. Internally, we have this term we, we use called a league, right? So there's a league guess, and sometimes that has a preconceived notion of, of what that is. And traditional league bowling is still a great product. But really, any type of frequent guest that, that comes to see you on a frequent basis, I, I don't care what you call them. I call them a great customer, right? right. So yeah. whether they are more traditional in sport, whether they're fun and social, th there is a lot of opportunity in this increased demand that we have to build those frequent guests, whether you call it a club, whether it's a social activity, whether it's a, a league, whatever the nomenclature you, you use is, doesn't matter. But that league guest is still a very sought after and powerful guest. Because think about it, what other product has the ability to come have somebody see them multiple weeks and, and pay for that, mm -hmm. right? It just doesn't happen. Even your favorite restaurant, you, you wouldn't want to go 10 or 12 weeks in a row. It would just get right. old. Yeah. But yet we can come up with products and programs that, that people will come see us 10, 12, 14 mm -hmm. in the traditional setting, even 30, 35 30. weeks. Right. And, and in those traditional settings, guess what? They pay when they don't show up. Right. right. Think about yeah. that. Think about your favorite restaurant in the whole world. You're mm -hmm. going to pay for 30 weeks in a row and you're going to give the, the manager money to hold your table just in case you don't show up. It just, it doesn't happen anyway. It's <laughs> yeah. such a wonderful product. So right. mm -hmm. while we have this resurgence of interest in our game, we should take advantage of that to get people in our, our more frequent products. Mm -hmm. We think about this life cycle of a guest, right? From a bowler and building them from this kind of casual to a frequent to, to a league guest, understanding that and, and be building along. So the, the league product is not dead. It's a great product. You just may not be able to package it in a 30 or 35 week uh, bundle anymore. Mm -hmm. I see. So a little bit of rebranding, repackaging, and converting people into that more recurring. Yeah. The, the beauty of it is if you put uh, people in a 10 or 12 week program and they're having fun, guess mm -hmm. what? They're going to want to do it again. Right. You're going to get them for another 10 or 12 weeks. If they're having fun, guess what? They're going to do it. So if you ask an infrequent guest, would you come see me for 30 weeks in a row? They probably say, no, I, I'm mm -hmm. not going to commit to that. There's marriages that don't last 30 weeks. How am yeah. I going to join a bowling league for 30 weeks? <laughs> right. you know? yeah. But if I do three, 10, eight week sessions, run them concurrently, and then let the guests decide if they're having a good time to roll over. Mm -hmm. Next thing they're bowling 28 weeks and they didn't even realize it. Yeah. And then they just brought two friends too, right? You know, yeah. It's a social component. So the frequency. So taking this momentum that we're seeing in the industry of, of this resurgence of bowling and people wanting to bowl, 
and then building that frequency and you're increasing the guest frequency really is what you're doing. And you're doing this through this product that internally we call. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. And, and uh, a lot of our clients do see a lot of success with the more social leagues, just because it, it's appealing to a broader base. A lot of people will bowl. Not everyone is a competitive in the sport. But lots of people, like like we said, it's the most accessible sport. You open it up a little bit more to a person who might not be competitive, but they're happy to go out and hang out with friends and maybe a little less committal where it's more as a, like you said, 12 weeks and then maybe a rotation of you have a substitute or something like that. I've seen the flexibility helps to promote the attendance as well. Yeah. And then bundling in some type of a premium item that was that cause to want to stay to the end. We've got a great partnership with Austin Beer on some of those Sam Adams bowling balls and Truly and things of that, or whether it's Go Bowl in America 2.2, where you put in a jersey, or even you do your own program, just whatever it is. So there's that value add that gets bundled into the process. And so it's a premium item. So at the end of 12 weeks, Johnny gets a new bicycle, or at the end of 12 weeks, somebody is getting a new jersey or something. So there's those programs are alive, they're well, and they're really starting to see a, a, a resurgence. Yeah, that, and I've seen that the social ones tend to have more of a food and beverage component as well. So you add that revenue on top. It's definitely a, a good moneymaker for a center who's willing to make somewhat of a, a switch for that. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the rum bucket leagues, the women with wine, there's lots of different programs you can bundle together for that, that value add that you can, so it just creates the whole package. Yeah. That's a great one. Any other ones that you're seeing? Is that the, the main one or anything else you're seeing trends wise? Yeah. I tell you, I, and this may be a temporary trend again, as we're coming out of this, but groups, large groups, probably those of us that are in the, the group event business, the corporate mm -hmm. event business, we haven't started to see those large companies come back. But mm -hmm. we're starting to see what we're referring to as like micro events. So mm -hmm. people will hang around. So I, I get used the example of a company that normally might come see you for their party or mm -hmm. an annual event where it'd be a hundred strong. They're not quite ready for that yet, but they might do four or five events with 10 to 12 each yeah. departmental because people, mm -hmm. come, I, people hang in their tribe, right? right. So you, you may not be ready to gather together as a hundred mm -hmm. uh, because it just may not be seen as the right thing to do. But you'll gather together in a group of 10 or 12 or 14 because right. you want to, again, for the same reason, you want to associate, network, bond, team build. So there's some folks out there that are really focusing on these micro events and riding that wave to help them build that business. Now, it's a lot harder. Again, it's easier to throw one party for 100 mm -hmm. than four parties for 16. Right. But that, that's what those that are still focusing on that group event business that's a big draw for them. I think that's temporary. I think that too will pass, but for now that micro event is also a, a great opportunity. And when you say you think it'll pass, you're saying that the larger companies holding off from the bigger events will pass or then the micro events will pass, or it would be a time where they're doing both of them or what well, kind I, of a transition do you see? Selfishly, I hope both, but, but I, I think that what we'll see is those big events come back, right? Okay. Where we're seeing large gathering and sporting events and we're seeing those things happen. I think the natural progression then as the next holiday season, we'll start to see a few more and then a mm -hmm. few more. Now, look, all of that can change. We're just one variant away from something happening, sure. but in its current progression, I think we will see those open back, open back up. And ultimately, I hope that the small ones stay, Thanks. micro events stay, but all hope is not lost for those that are in that, that event business. Yeah.
Yeah. And, and I think the micro event is, is almost a different feel too, right? More of an or, informal feel, more hanging out with your 10 closest coworkers rather than the, the large hundred person event tends to have a different feel to yeah. it. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, if you think about those bigger events, what happens? People migrate to smaller micro groups within the larger, right. their tribe. The hey, thing. there's forest. Let's go hang out with yeah. the, the, with our tribe, the people we know. Exactly. You know, there's very few social butterflies that are out visiting the folks that they don't know in the company, even though right. that's the intent. Yeah. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I guess it's same end result, just a different uh, label on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, I like that. Anything that you're seeing people do to take advantage of those, any kind of packaging deal, or is that too far in the specifics too different between each? I think that's just so market specific and product specific based on your offerings. There's so many different models out there. So there's Mm -hmm. not really like a one size fits all. It's really building that to the group that you have. Right. Just identifying an opportunity and adapting it to you. Okay, great. So then the only other piece that I want to ask you about is more on, on the future. We've talked a little bit about how you think you know, some of the larger events are going to come back. Where else are you seeing the industry going in the next maybe two, three, five years? What kind of trends or, or larger patterns do you, do you foresee? I, I wish I could tell you that if I could, I'd write a book. Mm-hmm. I'd probably go on to be very famous, but I, I would just say this. Bowling has been around for 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. I think we still got another 5,000 left in us right, and it's right. a great, it's a great product offering and will continue. Mm-hmm. And I think that those, the, the market really dictates the product. So if we continue to listen to our customer, listen to the guest, that will help us refine the products we need to make sure we're, we're meeting their needs because mm-hmm. ultimately the, the, the consumer always ends up dictating the product. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a, I guess, philosopher or writer, whatever you want to call him, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He wrote uh, Anti-Fragile and uh, The Black Swan. And he has a paradigm where he says, however long something's been around, it's more than likely going to be around that long again. So things that are really new, not as big of a chance of them sticking around, but things that have been really old, like water or wine or the Bible or whatever else it is, there's a good chance it's going to be around for a long time. And you can add bowling to that list. Exactly. That's exactly what I had in mind. Great. Is there anything else that you want to talk about maybe with the BPA, any programs, promotions, anything that people uh, would want to know about or things you guys are working on? Look, I don't want to make it a commercial there. I would just say folks, if you can, the industry's largest gatherings coming up in, in June, the Bowl Expo, it, it is a great networking opportunity. It's a great education opportunity, and it's a great opportunity to see the latest products that, that all the major exhibitors and providers will, will have there. So so it's our largest gathering of our industry. It's going to be in, in Vegas this year. It's a great opportunity to get out. I, I tell folks that, look, we've all been working very hard. You've deserved a few days to yourself. Go recharge yourself, recharge your team, and get some great some great new information and some great networking and education and products there. So I, I just would encourage everybody to, to gather together and, and celebrate a little bit because everyone sure deserved it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of just coming off a hard, busy season. And I, I couldn't agree more. I plan to be there. Every interaction I've had with the BPAA has, has been great. If you're not involved in, in any way, I'd say take that step because it's a great organization with, with a great mission. Great. Is there anything, anyone, anything you want people to reach out to you for or just the Bull Expo or any way people should get in contact with you or what's the best way if they want to learn more? Hey, if they have any questions, my email address is very easy. It's Bart, B-A-R-T at BPAA.com. Mm-hmm. And you can catch me direct there. Happy to fill in any blanks for you or get you information about Bull Expo, any of the products we offer. Again, we, we serve the industry and uh, they, all of you are our customers. So anything we can do to help, that's what we're here for. Awesome. Yeah. Well, like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time, Bart. This has been an awesome conversation. I really learned a lot and I'm sure anyone else who watched it will as well. Thanks again. All right, Forrest. Thanks to you. Look forward to seeing you at Bull Expo and look forward to seeing everyone else at Bull Expo as well. See you there.